we're jumping back in now uh, to our, our series, our mega series over the course of 52 weeks. Uh, it's called His Story. And what we're doing is, we, I, my hope, my, my goal with this study is, and I know what God did when, when I had an understanding of how the Bible all fits together. Did you know that the Bible is one story? It's not just a bunch of random little fables, moral tales stuck together in a neat uh, compilation. This is one story from, from beginning to end. It's a story of God and his people. It's a story of redemption. And it's one story. It's the most important story that we can ever know. And my hope, have you ever, some of you are like, man, I open the Bible and I turn to Leviticus or I flip over to Isaiah and I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Okay, you feel me? And you're going, I don't understand what this has to do with Genesis or what that has to do with Revelation or the Gospels. How does this all fit together? And we want to teach, we want to teach our, our people not just how to come and, and hear on Sunday mornings or come to a Bible study, but that we can feed ourselves and feed our family, that we might be able to open the Word of God and understand wherever, whatever passage we're in, how that fits into the story so we can understand what God is trying to tell us that we can know him better. That's, that's our heart behind this series, is that we might know him and, and be able to understand what he's communicated to us in his word. So what we're going to look at, and this is our little reminder here, everybody's favorite part of the, of the message, uh, our motions, right? Now, we're up to this point so far. I'll do it twice uh, so that, you know, a little, it's, it was Christmas. You had a lot, of, a lot of gluten in you, so you're forgetting. Uh, I understand that. Uh, but so... If you remember, I'll do it twice. So here we have God, okay, God. Then we have creation. Second time you have to do it with me. Creation. There we go. Then fall, okay, fall. Then promise. It's a pinky promise. Promise. Then we have flood, okay. That's Pastor Chuck's favorite. Flood. And then we have tower, okay, tower. Now that helps us, total physical response, that helps us remember this story. Now this week, we're going to learn a new one, and everybody take your hand and put it on your chin, and bring it straight down. Patriarchs, okay, the patriarchs. We've got uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is, is where we're going next. Now, you got to remember in our story to catch us up to where we are today. In the beginning, there was God, and there was only God. He's the only one worthy of worship, the only one that's eternal, the only one that's holy and self-existent, that needs nothing else. And this God, he created the universe, and he creates it good because he's a good God. And he creates everything, these wonderful things, the stars and the galaxies and the planets and the mountains. But then he creates a magnum opus. He creates mankind. And the difference between mankind and everything else is that he created mankind in his image. And the reason he did that was to have a relationship with us. That this a magnificent God would want a relationship with us. So he creates Adam and Eve. But when he creates them, he creates them with a choice. Because God doesn't want robots that have to worship him, that have to serve him. He wants us to choose a relationship with him. So he puts this tree in the garden, and he says, don't eat of this fruit. And what he's showing is he's going to see, are you going to trust me or trust yourself? Are you going to let me be God, or are you going to try to be God? And Adam and Eve, they listen to the lies of Satan instead of the truth of God's spoken word to them, and they eat of the fruit. And the result is sin. Sin comes into this world, and there's a fracture in the relationship between God and man. Death means separation. We were separated, died to God in our relationship with him. But out of the midst of this brokenness, out of the midst of this tragedy, God steps in in Genesis 3.15 and he says, I'm going I'm I'm to rescue you. And he says, I'm going to send the seed of the woman, 
a coming deliverer who's going to crush the head of the, of the seed of the serpent, Satan, symbolizing a defeat of sin and death. He says, I'm going to make a way back to me. I'm going to do it. And the rest of this story is his faithfulness to reconcile his people unto himself. It's a love story with God as the main character, with us as the damsel in distress, and him rescuing, reconciling man back to himself. And then we see, of course, Adam and Eve make a bunch of babies, but all those babies are born separated from God. So as this world is fruitful and multiplies, it's full of sinners. And this world full of sinners becomes so wicked and so depraved that God says, I'm going to send a flood to wipe everyone out. But because he's promised this deliverer, he says, says, it's the scripture says that Noah finds favor in God's sight, and so he spares Noah and his family to continue that promise that he made to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, and they're spared through the flood. After the flood comes, uh, uh, Noah and his family, they f- are fruitful and multiply once again, populating the earth which a bu- with a bunch of sinner babies, okay? Now, all of these babies come back together as adults, and they say, we want to make a tower to show how great we are, not to worship God for how great he is, and God says, uh-uh, that's not what I told you. I said, go and scatter, so he confuses their languages and scatters the people from Babel, and that's where we are in our story right now, where the, where the people have just been scattered, they're starting to fulfill... Uh, Fill the earth once again. Now, we're going to turn here to Genesis chapter 12. Verses are on the screen as always. Feel free to read along. Uh, ESV will be the default one, unless I indicate usually it's new living otherwise. In this chapter, we're going to turn to a point in history of such tremendous importance that is going to alter the course of not just that age, but every age to come. And like most of the things that God does, it starts pretty small. It starts like a mustard seed. Okay? It starts into something that might seem pretty insignificant at first. That like if you and I were in charge of, of, of reconciling all of fallen creation of, of mankind to God, we probably wouldn't start here. But God so often does things to show it can only be through his power, not ours. And so God, he's going to look at this one guy. A guy who comes from a family of idol worshippers. Is one guy who lives in this obscure place called Ur. Ur is just a little bit south of where the Tower of Babel had been constructed. And he comes to this one man. And we see this giant uh, shift in focus here in Genesis chapter 12. Up until now, we've been dealing at a worldwide level. We, we've been talking about, you know, Adam and Eve, which were, the, that was the, the entire global population at the time. And then we moved to the flood and what God did with the whole world and the Tower of Babel, it's dealing with the whole population. But now in the rest, most of the rest of this story that we're going to walk through zooms in, no longer talking about everybody, but it zooms in on one nation in particular. And God is about to begin a 2,000 year historical object lesson with this one group of people. And we're going to start with the father of that nation. And you'd know him as, the name, as, as Abraham and the, the nation as the people of Israel. You chart our, our timeline here, our, uh, our, geneolo- our uh, lineage, started from Adam and Eve. Remember, Seth, or Abel was killed by Cain. God replaces him with Seth. That's the line of the deliverer. The, the big, bold names are the deliverer uh, line. So from Seth all the way down to Noah, Noah's son Shem. If you remember, Shem was the one we said it's going to be through his line that the deliverer is going to come. The word Shem from that comes Semite or Semitic, which is the, a term to refer to those of, of Jewish descent. And then from Shem eventually comes Abraham. Abraham comes onto the scene here in Genesis chapter 12. I'm ask you a question. How many of you have ever made a promise before? Okay, go ahead. Don't be shy. Yeah, good. 
all of you, if it's unanimous, it helps my illustration. So yeah, okay, great. Um, all right, now, important here, how, how many of you have ever broken a promise? You don't have to raise your hand on this one. Okay, I don't want to cause any marital rifts or anything, and if the kids are looking at, what? My, um, we all do. We all break promises. Now, we break them for one of two reasons. Uh, sometimes we break our promises simply because we're sinful. Okay? We're selfish. Um, there, there's something wicked within us that causes us to deceive or to change our minds for our own purposes or, or what have you. But sometimes, sometimes we, we can't keep our promises simply because we're not strong enough or smart enough to do so. And I've found this in my own life. I'll tell somebody, yeah, I'll call you on Tuesday or I will be there. And I have all the intent in the world to do that. But you know what happens? I forget. It just, it, it goes in one ear and out the other, and I don't do it. I'm not smart enough to keep my own promise. Now, I've found, for me, the iPhone app, the reminder thing, it, it beeps at me. Hey, dum-dum, you said you were going to be there. Be there, right? So this helps me uh, be more trustworthy. It's been, a, it's been a good tool for that. But sometimes, let's say you told your, your kid, hey, I'm going to come to your game tonight. I will be there. I promise that I'll be there. And then on the way to the game, the car breaks down. What do you do? You're not fast enough to run to the game. You don't have the resources or, or the know-how to fix the car right on the spot. There are circumstances that are bigger than you that you can't overcome to keep the promise with all the good intention in the world that you had made. But the good news is, that's not God. And God is not just stronger than we are. He's not just smarter than we are. The God that you and I serve is all-powerful. The God that you and I serve is all-knowing. So, so when God makes a promise to us, he can and he will always keep it, even the borderline insane ones. One of the themes that we're going to see woven through this story is that God is faithful to his promises. He never changes. So if he's promised us something, he is going to keep it. And God has promised to send this deliverer. And, and so despite Adam's sin, despite Cain murdering his brother, despite the flood, despite Babel, despite you and I, in spite of us, not because of us, God keeps his promises. And what I want to show us this morning is these crazy promises that God makes to Abraham. And these, these ridiculous promises, these things that would never seem like they could come to fruition, 4,000 years old, they, he made these promises at least. And what I want to show this morning is, is that A, God keeps those promises, and B, how these promises that God made to this random dude in Ur thousands of years ago are of the utmost importance to you and I today. So let's look at this. We're going to ask three questions this morning. First of all, what were the promises? What promises did he make? Secondly, what were the conditions of said promises? And then finally, who are the heirs of the promises? In other words, who do these benefit? When you look at the first question, what were the promises? Um, we turn to Genesis 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So the first thing here is God comes to Abraham. We just splash onto the scene. And he, goes, he says to Abraham, I want you to go. Leave everything you've ever known, your family, your friends, and go to a strange land. Okay, it'd be a weird encounter with God if that was the first thing he said to one of us when he came. But the thing that I want to point out, and I underlined the word said, and the reason I did that is because another theme that we see woven throughout our story is that God communicates with man. 
If he wants man to do something, he comes to them. Remember, this is all about a relationship. So the relationships are built around communication, right? We'll have a little marriage counseling here, right? It's built around communication. And so God communicates with, with, with Abraham what he wants him to do. Now you might say, well, yeah, if God came and told me, if he audibly told me to do something, Justin, I want you to go to, you know, Dairy Queen. Here I am, Lord, send me. If he, if, he, if he tells me to do something, whatever it was, right? If I heard his voice from heaven, wouldn't you do it? But remember, Abraham doesn't have a Bible, okay? Why? Because he's living out the Bible right now. That's what he's, he's a part of that story that's going to be written. And you and I, while most of the time God doesn't speak to us audibly, I, I've never in my life heard God audibly speak to me. Some, I, there are some who claim they have. But while we don't have his spoken word, today we have a privilege that Abraham never had. And in our possession, 24-7, we have his written word. And God, in that word, has told us everything, everything we need to know about life. That's what scripture says. Everything we need to know about life is written in there. Everything that God wants us to know about him, everything he wants us to know about his will. So if you're here this morning saying, God, I want to know what you want for my life, it's in the word. And unless God speaks to you audibly over top of that, we have everything we need to know right there in his revealed word. And God wants us to know him and his will worse than we do. So if we say, God, show me yourself, show me your will, he'll do that. He'll do that through his word for you. So then we look at the promises that God actually makes. He says in verse 2, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, in, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we break this down into three categories. There's personal blessing. God says I'll bless you. There's national blessing. I'm going to make you into this great nation. And then there's universal blessing. He says I will bless all the nations through your nation. Okay, we zero in on each of those. First thing he says is, I will bless you. Now, he doesn't get overly detailed here, does he? He says, I'm going to bless you. But I'm going to say this. If the God of the universe comes to you and says, I'm going to bless you, it's going to be good, right? You know it's going to be good. If Bill Gates came to you and said, brother, I want to bless you, I'm not going to ask questions. Bless away, man. Bless away, right? So if that's the, one of the richest men on earth, if the God of the universe who made everything, who owns everything who's all-powerful, comes to you and says, I'm going to bless you, you don't ask questions. You let him bless you. Abraham's not like, well, God, I want to, and Sarah's, shut up, honey, he's in the middle of blessing us, right? Like, just let the man do what he's going to do. And then he does get a little specific here. He goes, I'm going to make your name great. Now, could we agree today that Abraham's name is great? You check that box. We're talking about him today thousands of years later. In fact, it's interesting, this world reveres Abraham unlike almost any other person. Three of the world's major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all find their, their, their roots back in Abraham. And all three of these very different religions that they don't agree on a lot, all revere the name of Abraham. God's being faithful to his promise. And then he says, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. How would you like to have that in your back pocket? Right? Someone comes up to you, you want to mess with me? I got this guy back of me. I'd be careful. If you dishonor me, he says he'll curse you. And what we see is throughout history, the history of the nation of Israel, God protecting and preserving his people unto his own glory. 
over and over again, the Holocaust could not take out the people of Israel. Stalin could not take out the people, them being dispersed, their own disobedience and sin. God has been faithful to keep this nation intact. So he gives Abraham some personal blessing, but then he says, I'm also going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to, first of all, two things, great great land, great nation. He says, go to the land that I will show you. He's going to give him this amazing patch of land, which was formerly called Canaan. And we see in Genesis 15, he gets more specific. To your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, to give you a, a visual image. Sorry, this picture is not the greatest of qualities, but um, that there's the Euphrates River just to the north of the circle, and then down south there is Egypt. And this is the area, the land that God says, this is going to be a land flowing of milk and honey, which sounds delicious. He says, I'm going to give you this land, and, and you're going to have this as an inheritance. One of the richest lands in the world, most would agree, is, is this spot right here in Israel, modern-day Israel. Now, it's cool to see throughout time, there was, of course, there was a period of time when Israel was driven away from the nation of Israel, from, from the land. But then, as most of you know, I'm familiar with, in 1948, that hundreds and hundreds of years later, after they had been dispersed, what happened? God brought the people back, and they were reinstated, and, and Israel gained its independence once again in that same spot that he promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. God's faithful to keep his promises. But he says, not just I'm going to give you a great land, but I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will make you a great nation. Now keep in mind at this point, Abraham and Sarah don't have any kids yet. And they're not exactly spring chickens. They're probably in their 90s. And God's saying, I'm going to not just give you a son, but I'm going to give you a a great nation. What's the song that we know? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had five. I'll do a solo. Right arm, left turn. All right, anyway. We, God, we know, we sing that song because God here again was faithful to his promise. And Abraham had a son, Isaac. And in fact, it goes on from there. Genesis 22, I will surely multiply your offspring. And as many stars are in the heavens and sands on the seashore, that's how great this nation's going to be. And that's exactly what happens. God gives Abraham this great nation that, of course, becomes the nation of Israel. And he says, from this nation, Genesis 17, 6, these great kings are going to come. And again, we see that fulfilled in Scripture. King David, King Solomon, and of course, above all, King Jesus comes from the line of Abraham. And today, on planet Earth, 2016, there are between 15 and 20 million Jews, depending on exactly how you would define that and how you count them, um, on Earth today. This is still a great nation. In fact, interesting side note, there's actually more uh, Jewish pop- uh, higher Jewish population in the United States of America than in that tiny little... Ooh, I always love when I get to use my laser especially when it works. Oh, well. That little sliver there in the Middle East, Israel. There's more Jews in, in the U.S. than there are in, in the state of Israel today. But God is faithful. Great land. They repossessed in 48. A great nation still to this day. And then God moves from personal to national, and then he zooms all the way out, and he says, this, this blessing is going to be universal. And the last thing he says in this promise is verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but this is where it gets really good. This is where you and I come in. God's being super vague here, right? That sentence is, is very vague. But, but what we see in the middle of it, he says, I'm not just going to bless your nation. I'm not just going to bless your family. But through your family, I'm going to bless every family 
on earth. So, these are the promises. Personal, national, and universal blessing. Now, what were the conditions of this promise, of these promises? We always got to read the fine print. Always got to see, make sure that we're reading between the lines. What, what's the catch here, God? And, and, and we're two things we want to look at, the nature of the covenant and the sign of the covenant. First of all, the nature of the covenant. What God is making here in this promise to Abraham is essentially what we would call a covenant. Now, a covenant is an agreement between two parties, now, one of these things that we need to understand is that the covenants or the oaths, as they're sometimes called, that were made in the day of Abraham and in the times of Scripture were taken much more serious than they are today. We throw around the word promise all the time. Oh, I swear I'll do it, right? I promise you all this and that. I pro- hey, if you're, you know, if, when, when you're 40 and I'm 40, if we're not, either one of us is married, we'll marry each other, all right? And just kind of, th- I, I should have made one of those promises. Um, you go, and, and you just kind of throw that out there casually. Unless it's like a lifetime movie, those things never come to fruition, right? No one holds those. But in scripture, it's a lot different. A, a, a contract, a covenant between God and man were much more binding. There were curses involved, even death sometimes, if those weren't held. You've been reading through the Own It 365 series with us. We just recently read about Jephthah in Judges, right? And what does he say? If you give me this victory, God, the next thing that walks out of the door of my house, I will sacrifice. And what's the next thing that comes out? His own daughter. He has to sacrifice his own daughter. But because he made that covenant, that agreement with God, he has to keep it, and he sacrifices his own flesh and blood. God takes covenants very seriously. And so this serious covenant that he makes with Abraham, there's two different kinds of covenants that can be made, and it's important to understand the distinction, especially as this is going to relate to us. There's, first of all, a conditional covenant. A conditional covenant, it's when both parties have to agree to fulfill certain conditions. And if they don't fulfill the conditions, it's broken. The operative word in a conditional covenant is the big word if, okay? So what did I say? If you're 40 and not married, and if I'm 40 and not married, then we'll get married. But if either one of you gets married, that covenant's nullified, right? It's conditional. Right now, my nephew Ray is being potty trained, and it's if you go to the bathroom on the potty, then I'll give you a piece of candy. But if you don't, no candy, right? Which is garbage. I go to the potty all the time and I don't get jack. Um, so, so it's conditioned on him using the potty. He goes in his diaper, there's no candy there. An unconditional covenant, as you could probably surmise, is, is when there is an agreement between the two parties, but only one of the parties does something, has to do something for it to be fulfilled. If your rich uncle says, I'm going to leave you a million dollars, right, regardless of what you do, There's no if you do this and if you do that. It's just coming your way. You just simply receive it. That's an unconditional, unconditional covenant. It's not based on something that I do. The beautiful thing here is that the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. There are no ifs. You read this Genesis chapter 12. There are no ifs. I'll give you this land if. I'll make you a great nation if. It's just simply I'm going to do this for you. Go to this land and I'm going to bless your socks off. The same thing with Noah. Remember what God told the people after Noah came through the flood? He says, I'm going to show you this rainbow as a sign of my covenant to you that I'll never, what, send a flood and wipe out the rest of the world. That was a promise, and it wasn't, it wasn't conditional. It wasn't based on anything. Not if you're good, I won't wipe it out. It's I will never do it again. I promised you. 
Now you compare that, you fast forward in our story a little bit to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 28. God makes this pact after giving them the law, and this is here, look at the language here. This is a conditional covenant. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. See that first word of the sentence? If. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. The next 12 verses are all the ways that he will bless them if they obey the commandments that he gave them. But then in verse 15, he says, but if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. And then you want to terrify yourself, read the rest of this chapter before you go to bed tonight. And he lists all these curses that will come their way. And by the way, they do, because if you read the story, spoiler alert, they disobey God and all of these curses come upon them. This is a conditional covenant. If you obey, I'll bless you. If you disobey, I'll curse you. But here with Abraham, he simply tells him, this is what I'm going to do. There are no strings attached. This is based on my own faithfulness. Now, there is one caveat we have to, we have to mention, and this is the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant, he says, will be circumcision. Genesis 17. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. So here's Abraham's end of the bargain. Each male among you must be circumcised. If you don't know what that is, talk to your parents, or even, I guess, your spouse on the way home. Uh, We'll leave that for questions for the car ride. I'm not giving you any visuals uh, for that this morning. Um, so he says, you've got to be circumcised. This is, this, is the, this is the sign of the covenant. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his, after his birth. So he says, when a, when a male child is eight days old, they must be circumcised. Otherwise, here's what happens. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Now you say, well, wait a second, Justin. You just said it was an unconditional covenant. It is. If someone's not circumcised, they're cut off from the covenant blessings. They're removed from the people of God. But God's still going to give what he promised to do. The the question is not if God's going to keep the promise. The question is who's going to be a beneficiary of that covenant promise. And he says, if you don't, if you're not circumcised, you will be cut off from my covenant blessings to you. It's a sign of faith to believe God is doing what he says he's going to do. So there's the... The sign, it's an unconditional covenant. The the, the sign is circumcision. The nature is an unconditional covenant. Then number three, and here's where it gets really good. In verse verse three, it says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who are the heirs of the promise? Okay? Raise your hand if if you're a part of a family on earth. You're a part of the blessing, brother. Part of the blessing, sister. He, he widens this thing and he says, he says, look, all the families of earth shall be blessed. It means that this is not just for Abraham's descendants. This is not just for the people of Israel. But through the people of Israel, he says, everyone will be blessed. Now, what in the world is he talking about? What does he mean everyone's going to be blessed? How are we going to, does that mean we all have to move to Israel? Like, what, is he, what, what kind of blessing is he talking about here? Luckily, we have the foresight of having Uh, the New Testament to explain some of these things to us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Through Christ Jesus, there's the deliverer. God has blessed the Gentiles. What's that word mean? That's just a non-Jew. Somebody that's not from the nation of Israel. He has blessed the Gentiles, the rest of the world, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we, who are believers, might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. You know what he's saying? He says, I'm going to bless all the families on earth through you. You know how he did it? It's through Jesus. Jesus is the blessing that God promised Abraham 
back in Genesis chapter 12. So remember, his, his promised deliverer was made back in Genesis chapter 3 to Adam, okay, who's not a Jew, by the way. And, and he continues that thread through the rest of the Old Testament. And he's giving us further and further revelation. It's going to be through Noah. It's going to be through Shem. Now he's telling us it's going to be a descendant of Abraham. Jesus will be a Jew, but he's not just coming to bless the Jews, but to bless the entire world. And we see this promise carried out to fruition in Matthew 28, 19. What does Jesus say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to who? All the nations. Same word there, it's Greek versus Hebrew, but the same Greek, same root word there for families. In Matthew 28, when Jesus sends his disciples out to the whole world, he's moving this attention once again, now no longer just to to the people of Israel, but to the entire world. He is in Matthew 28 fulfilling the promise of Genesis chapter 12. Now, it says in John 3, 16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, not just that he loved the Jews. The Israel was a vehicle, was a megaphone that God used to speak to the world, to bless the rest of the world as Jesus comes through their line. Right now, on planet Earth, you realize there is a believer in every single country on Earth. God is being faithful to his promise. There's still a lot of work to be done. And one thing I want to unpack, when he says families in Genesis chapter 12, and it says nations in in Matthew 28, we often think of families, we think of mom, dad, and kids. That's not what's being referred to here. When we hear nation, we think of political lines, the United States of America, Ghana. That's not what he's referring to here. This word, the Greek word is ethnos, which is better referred to as a people group. Hey, think a tribe. It's a group of people. There are countries in the world, America's not a great example, but there's a lot of countries in the world today that have many different people groups, different distinct language and cultural groups of people within those arbitrary country lines. So when he says go out and tell everyone, every nation on earth, he's not just saying make sure there's a Christian in every country. He's saying make sure that this good news has gone to every single people group. And, and the Joshua Project is a group that looks into this and kind of measures how we're doing with our process of spreading the gospel. And today on earth, there are still over 6,000 people groups, distinct language and cultural clusters of people who have never been reached with the gospel, meaning that the Bible's never been translated in their language. They have no, they have no existing gospel witness among that people group today. These people groups have yet to be blessed with Abraham's covenant blessings to receive them. And I want to say this, and I hate to say it because the last thing I want to do is say goodbye to some of you, but maybe God is pricking your heart to go. And maybe it's just across the street and we got to start there. But maybe it's to the other side of the world. And look, there was a time that God was pricking on my own heart to do that, to go. And I was going to head out with New Tribes Mission. So Pastor Larry told me I had to stay here. No, God changed my heart and he he has me here at Peninsula Grace. But if I'm not going, I want to send other people in my place. There are those in this world today who have never even heard the name of Jesus. That have never had the good news of Jesus dying for their sins translated into their heart tongue. 
And, and listen, I'm not your Holy Spirit, and this is not one of those uncomfortable messages of go ye, and if you don't go, you're in sin. It's not the way it works. But maybe God's just pressing into your heart, hey, I need, to, I need to be more aware of what's going on around the world, or I need to pray a lot more for the missionaries and for the lost in the world today, or, or, or maybe it's that I need, to, I need to really invest in people I know that are going. But maybe it is, and I don't want you, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, do not shut him out. It's a scary thing to do. If he's saying go, go. What did he tell Abraham? The first thing he said, I want you to go to a strange land. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Abraham could have had a ton of excuses, but I just bought a house, God. But I just had a grandkid here, God. God says go. We say where? Pray. Pray that God, the harvest is great. That's not the problem. The workers are few. The workers are few. But we got to start here in our own backyard. Let's talk for one minute and then we'll land the plane. Don't you think there were days, there were probably days, I imagine, where Abraham was thinking, I wonder if God's going to come through on all these crazy promises. Between the time that God makes those promises and he actually has Isaac, or they become pregnant with Isaac, I'm sure Abraham's thinking, God, I am 90 plus years old, okay? I can barely go to the bathroom on my own. And you think I'm going to be able to have a child, and not just a child, but become this amazing nation. I mean, imagine if God came to you in your 90s and made that promise. It'd be a pretty tough pill to swallow, wouldn't it? And are there days in our lives when, when God's promises just don't seem real? And we can be real here. We can admit that there are times that we doubt God. Is God, is there really a hope beyond this grave? God, are you really doing something with this mess that I'm in the middle of right now? You said you're going to use that all for good, that you're going to finish this good work in me that you started. And there are days, like I'm sure Abraham experienced, when it's hard to believe that those promises are going to be fulfilled. So what do we do on a day like that? I want to encourage us with this verse from Romans 15:4. Says such things were written in the scriptures long ago to do what? To teach us. Scripture's there for our instruction. This story from Abraham today was intended for us to have, to learn something. What can we learn? And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we patiently wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Listen, there's a lot of promises in our lives that God has specifically made to us in his word that have not been fulfilled yet. And what I'd encourage you to do is to saturate yourself in the word day in and day out. I mean, anybody in here need some hope? Anybody in here need some encouragement? Paul says it comes from the scriptures. It comes from the the written, living, active word of God that separates soul and spirit. This is not just a book study. This thing is living. Jesus is the word. And as we come to meet God in this word, we receive hope and we receive encouragement as we wait for him to come back and make all things right as he promised. I love the song, one of my favorite songs. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And you know what the song says? The things of earth, the things here on earth, your frustrations, your fears, your sorrows, that that depression, those temptations, all of those things on earth says they grow strangely dim. If if I'm looking at Jesus, all of a sudden these other things in my life, they don't seem like such a big deal anymore because Jesus is bigger. Jesus is better. And just like Peter in the water, if I look at Jesus, I'm going to walk toward his promises. But as soon as I start looking at those waves, as soon as I start looking at my circumstances, I start to sink. 
So my, my call to us today is to put our eyes, turn our eyes onto Jesus and the word to receive hope and encouragement when his promises seem insane. And leave you with this verse, Galatians 3.22. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. You understand that's who we were before we knew Jesus. Prisoners of sin, slaves to sin. Our only option was to sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom. He's promised us freedom from that sin. How? Only, there's the exclusive word, only by believing in Jesus. It's only as we turn our eyes upon him that we will experience the freedom from sin, from death, from temptation, from, from the worries and anxieties of our life. Let's turn our eyes upon him. Father, so just like Abraham, you've made these ridiculous promises to us. You, you've, you've promised us that if we will simply believe in your son, believe that, that he died for our sins on the cross and surrender our lives unto him, that you will come and be one with us, that you'll give us your son as our new life, that you'll declare us right in your sight, that we'll become your adopted children for all of eternity. God, these are crazy promises. And just like Abraham's crazy promises that our promises are based upon, it's hard sometimes to believe those things are going to happen. It's hard to believe that this is more than some myth or fairy tale. God, I pray that you give us the grace to trust you more. And as each of us face difficult challenges and trials and doubts and temptations in our lives, that we would turn to the one remedy, that we might turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.